Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for having me, Ben. Long time, first time. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, speaking of long time, first time, if we do a mop-up episode uh, at the end of TNG, do you want to like take take listener questions or something like have a uh have a part where people can write in and uh ask us things they wonder about our show that we've never had an opportunity to answer do a little behind the pod segment yeah i'd be up for that i'd answer any question well that's that's mighty charitable of you adam well i i reserve the right to not answer any question also <laughs> i guess i should say i'm I, i'm walking that one back man uh, mm. The nightmare started to take shape in my imagination. What is the first name and phone number of your wife? <laughs> and then I just give them your wife's information. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a real double cross. What are we going to do with this, Marin, Adam? Do we even need to do a Marin? We could just get right in. Ben, we have just so much to talk about on today's episode. Why don't we just get right into that? Actually, before we do... Here, here is something that we can talk about that's a little bit more taking care of business related. Okay. The episode that we are about to review here on our Star Trek review podcast that, uh, much to our consternation, lots of people know about. <laughs> uh, this is the first episode that uh, has any Deep Space Nine-iness in it. I think that at this point, Deep Space Nine had been on the air for several weeks uh, we missed our opportunity to step out of TNG and into DS9, like in the air air date order. Yeah, which is a that went, that a went right by without us realizing. <laughs> many people encouraged us to do that, including you. I mean, I, I wasn't um, married to that as a, but I thought that that was an interesting concept. I think that the thing that made me want to do it less was when I looked at what the air dates were and realized that there were like a bunch of back-to-back Deep Space Nine episodes before TNG started back up. Yeah. Like they did a handoff episode where there was like a TNG episode that ended and then DS9 started in the next hour of programming and um, and then like TNG was in reruns for a few weeks, I guess. Yeah. So... It's going to be weird. Well, it was weird, and it's going to be weird seeing a bunch of DS9 crossover and eventually DS9, because like I've watched The Next Generation many times over, and I believe I've only ever seen the Deep Space Nine series once. Yeah, I did not, uh, I did not watch DS9 to completion in its original airing. I guess the reason I bring that up is that... I wonder how many people were next generation people who never who never went over. Hmm. Like where's did that viewer exist at the time that this episode came out? It must have. I mean, people there are lots of people that think that DS9 is the better series. 
You're uh, talking, of course, about wrong people, right? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I like DS9. I'm, it's just not better than TNG. Um, Can you say you really liked it if you never went to completion? I think that I uh, stopped having enough bandwidth for it rather mm. than stopped wanting to watch it. Mm. Because it um, it started to, I think when it really started to get good, I started to be in high school and I was an athlete in high school and I did not really have as much unstructured time as I had up until then. Athlete in high school, you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on the crew team. Not my not my high school's crew team. My high school did not have one, but there was a, uh, a local Oakland like independent crew team that I was on. Sounds to me like uh, you and I had very different ideas of high school stroking at the time, Ben. <laughs> you want to know uh, what my my uh, crew team's name was? The Oakland Strokes. <laughs> that's real alliterative. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I thought for sure you were going to say different strokes. Mm-hmm. Was that a was that the name of another crew team? Yeah. Do crew we, uh... teams have like improv names? Is that, <laughs> is that what the yeah. deal is? The absolutely nuts. <laughs> the great big coxswains. <laughs> I guess all that is to say, we <laughs> I think very conspicuously don't have a plan. W slash R slash T DS9, but it's on our minds. And uh, it's hard to ignore in this episode. Sure isn't. I mean, we're not going to be watching DS9 for a while, and it, uh, it was fairly disruptive to <laughs> see that world bleed into this one. Yeah. It's fun that they're um, in the same world. Yeah, it is. It's weird to get an introduction to their crew people this way. In a way that was not intended, you know? Like, the assumption is that you know who Dr. Bashir is before he appears. Let's just get into the episode, Ben. Yeah. Season 6, episode 16, Birthright, part 1. This episode, I hid in my ass, (laughs) and now I give it to you. This... This chunk of episode was up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, that Deep Space Nine, very uncomfortable hunk of metal, looks like. Mm. The, the space butthole that it sits next to has just got to be like eyeing it like, mm. <laughs> keep that thing well back. <laughs> I don't want that thing anywhere near me. Yeah. Well back and well lubricated. <laughs> So, yeah, the captain and the doctor are walking around on the promenade of DS9, which is the casino and commercial district, I guess. Yeah, you, all that's missing is that incessant slot machine ding, you know, yeah. you get when you walk through any casino lobby. Yeah. This place is fucking dead. Beverly's going on and on about the spa facilities, uh, specifically the protein baths. I'm not sure she's aware of the protein bath that exists already uh, on the entrepreneur, Ben. You don't have to travel far from Riker's quarters to experience it, I'm telling you that much. Yeah. Do you think Riker, like the hallway near Riker's quarters, smells like those trees that smell like cum in the spring? Oh, God. 
Do you guys have those trees in Seattle? Uh, we decided not to go that route with our landscaping <laughs> uh, in the backyard a couple years ago, Ben. Uh, so, no. We decided to go for jasmine. So are you saying uh, you've never experienced this? <laughs> no. I've there never is... experienced it. I didn't know it was a thing. This There's is an incredibly horrifying. abundant kind of street tree in New York City that for like two weeks every spring, <laughs> you just walk around and you're like, oh, oh. Next thing you're going to do is tell me that in the summertime, there's the that's when the urine tree uh, comes into full bloom. I don't believe you, Ben. It's a thing, Adam. That, uh, that taxi cab exhaust tree uh, <laughs> in full bloom in the fall now. Can't miss mm. it. Yeah, it's that's like, a uh, lie. These are not tree scents, Ben. I'll let people on the, on the greatest gen hashtag straighten you out, Adam. Um, yeah, hashtag cum tree. <laughs> Hashtag greatest gen, hashtag cum tree, hashtag Rikers quarters. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the the ship is put in at DS nine. I guess the the captain is going to be occupied with some kind of diplomatic shit. They're doing some what is it like uh, aqueduct planning stuff with the Bajorans. And so oh yeah, a, lo- a lot of people have shore leave, and um, Data should be on aqueduct duty. That's what he should yeah. be doing. He's great at this. Maybe they're like... Mostly blowing him up, though. Data killed the last aqueduct he met. <laughs> you don't want to put him in a room with an aqueduct. <laughs> the only good aqueduct is a dead aqueduct. Would you like to know more? First couple of crewmen we, we meet are uh, Jordy and Worf, who have decided to get commuter mugs of coffee and... <laughs> And um, and pasta, and uh, sit down and, and have a chat. What is this? It's pasta al fiorella. It's one of my favorites. Don't worry, you're gonna love it. They made the fatal mistake of getting like, what is the incongruent dish at the at the restaurant? Like they ordered the hamburger at the Mexican restaurant, for example. Right. Like they got the yeah. wrong thing in the wrong place. Yeah, this happened to. I was. Uh, recently on this big long trip and one of the one of the weirdest things when you go to a country with a culture that is like really substantially different from your own is that they have like chinese restaurants in kano nigeria but it is like chinese food as filtered through the lens of nigerian food in the yeah. way that chinese food here in the US is filtered through an american palate and sensibility yeah and so, like, like that was, like, some of the weirdest food was, like, the the food that is both foreign to my own culture and to the culture I am visiting. And uh, I can't imagine that the, like, space station that the Bajorans own that used to be in the uh, owned by the Cardassians does a, a particularly good pasta dish. <laughs> so when you're using the African Chinese food example, are we talking about base protein differences or like total construction? Because like Mongolian lamb wouldn't be too big of a departure, but if the way that they make Mongolian beef is like instead of rice noodles, it's buckwheat pasta or something. Like like how different did right. it get? It got real different. Like the, we went to Thai food one night mm. in Kano. And the like, the array of like herbs and spices that 
Yeah. Were in this dish didn't like I don't think there was I got like pod CU and I don't think there was any like fish sauce flavor at all. Mm. It like didn't it didn't seem like a Southeast Asian dish in the way that like like Thai cooking seems so specific to me. Were there any Southeast Asian people there? Like as either purveyors or customers? Uh, Best sense that I got was that the average customer was a foreigner and the average person working there was maybe like Lebanese uh, ethnically. Like there's a big Lebanese population in Kano. Hmm. Um, And so this was a restaurant that had like Thai food and Indian food. And Hmm. uh, I didn't see any... Thai or Indian people there. <laughs> I don't know. It was a. Uh, it's it, Kano is also like very, very Muslim majority. So mm-hmm. there are relatively few restaurants where you can get a beer with your with your dinner. And, and this was uh, one of them, huh? We we wanted to be bad. So <laughs> <laughs> bet that beer tasted great on the very hot days you described to me. Oh, so hot. Like, how much beer do you drink on a 200-degree day? Probably a lot. <laughs> a good a good deal. Oh, hey, so was the beer good there, or was it like Budweiser? Like, it was Bud. It was the, the, like, every developing country has their own brand of beer that mm-hmm. tastes the same in every developing country. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. I think it was called Star. Yeah? Yeah. It was fine. It was, it was like, a, it's good hot weather beer, you know? did the job so they do that bit ben where uh where the food is unpalatable to one person but that's Worf's favorite kind of food delicious Worf goes to town on this pasta dish meanwhile on the on the bridge of the entrepreneur data is picking up some like unauthorized power use in six bay and uh riker's like why don't you go uh poke your nose in there see what's see what's up it's kind of an interesting idea that the op station like knows what the average power use of every part of the ship is. I guess it's like to make sure nobody's like, you know, plugging in a bunch of grow lights and making some hydroponic weed in their closet or whatever. Now, one of the things a new homeowner might want to install <laughs> in their fuse box is a power reader. <laughs> Using iOS software... You can tell how efficient your appliances are day to day. We're installing a security system that's entirely battery operated so that even if the power goes out, your ship will be nice and secure. (laughs) It also has high definition cameras so that you can see the face of an intruder, whether or not the power is on in the house. Now the system runs on Wi-Fi, which means you can tell when there's a power draw in Six Bay, all the way at the op station. <laughs> so, uh, so he goes down there, and um, there is a uh, a big chunk of weird equipment sitting on the on the desk. And uh, Doctor Bashir, chief medical officer of Deep Space Nine, is uh, is poking away at it, and he like he does this great like power move on Data where. Uh, Data's trying to get him to, to stop, and he's like, yeah, just help me out by, like, plugging that thing into that other thing. And, uh, and Data, like, almost falls for it. <laughs> it's an interesting kind of kind of move that Bashir is doing here. 
it made me wonder like is he is he new to Starfleet or is it just a, an accepted practice that uh me six bay su to six bay <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure the uh spanish speakers in our audience uh understood what you just said <laughs> the uh the deal is I think, that was not grammatically correct <laughs> bashir comes from deep space nine where he is like dr crusher status you know like he he only has one boss yeah and his his one boss is somebody who he's in a position to take out of the uh, order of succession if he thinks he's medically unfit. So uh, that, uh, I'm sure, despite the fact that Bashir is like considerably lower rank than Dr. Crusher in terms of pips, uh, probably like has a kind of automatic sense of status that he's uh, unable to turn off without some kind of conscious effort. Yeah. Yeah, and he presents himself as a guy with a without a governor on his mouth. <laughs> and much in the same way that he just uh invites himself to use six bay materiel, he's just jabbering on uh incessantly at data about how uh interesting he feels he is. Well, like and asking him uh childlike questions. Like yeah. Data even mentions, you know, most people like to talk about my processing power or how many positions and techniques that I'm familiar with. <laughs> but but Bashir is like, can you grow a beard? What about uh what about your hair? And I've do noticed your balls your breathing. stick to your leg when it's hot outside, or do you talk or do you not need to? They do some shot reverse shot here during the questions and answers, and I so wanted Data to fuck with them. Like <laughs> shot towards Bashir, shot back at Data, Data has a beard, and then back to Bashir and then back to Data and then he doesn't. <laughs> like he's just spontaneously changing his appearance for him. <laughs> yeah. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> So Data's like, you can't do this experiment in in Six Bay. You're not allowed. But it seems interesting enough. This is like a chunk of equipment that they found in the Gamma Quadrant. Do they have any idea what the thing is? You know, if they do, it went by so fast that, I, that it didn't even register for me. Yeah, it's like almost not important. But they want to fuck around with it more. So he's like, well, why don't we take it down to engineering and we'll plug it in there. And then we'll have LaForge helping us. And uh, you're not a lady, so he won't do anything to creep on you. The one thing we know about mystery objects in the Star Trek universe is that you should not stand downrange of whatever that thing is when you power it on, right? (laughs) Why haven't we learned this lesson by now? It's maddening. Well... Data's got a, uh, a certain relationship with the idea of having his life end early. Boy, he sure does. A, <laughs> an, a United States and Britain type of special relationship. <laughs> does that ma- make the machine the Tories and uh, Data the... I don't know. I'm bailing. I'm bailing out of that reference. Is Data Jeremy Corbyn? <laughs> Uh, Worf is uh, you just threw up. that at me like a life ring. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Hey, I got your back, Adam. 
Worf is uh, is finishing up his disgusting meal when <laughs> Lofi Farmer Hoggett comes and finds him on Deep Space Nine, and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> I got some secret information for you, buddy." If Lofi Farmer Hoggett were wearing the Freddy Krueger sweater from the Friday the Thirteenth movies, <laughs> it is almost a one for one. Like he looks like uh, he looks like burn victim. <laughs> Farmer Hoggett, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, he's got his loaf is like um you know that seam on your taint? <laughs> I know it well, Ben. That part of your balls that looks like it was stitched together? Yeah. His whole head looks like that. He's got basically scrotum head. He looks like he could use some powder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he uh he looks like he's extremely envious of Data's ability to regulate his own temperature this guy doesn't just have a coke nail he has a coke hand (laughs) he is just digging all up in that coke yeah he uh he's a a big enthusiast of nose drugs and uh (laughs) jazz guitar (laughs) real squirrely type Real squirrely, and um, he's uh, telling telling Worf he's got some information that Worf might be interested in uh, in purchasing. You have no information I could use. I would not be so sure. He gives the kind of headline of the information to dangle it out there, see if, if Worf is interested in the purchase price. And the headline is Moog, the, <laughs> the long-dead father of Worf uh, may in fact be alive and uh, to this guy's contention he is in, he is alive and he's imprisoned on a Romulan planet uh, a planet that he describes as both remote and not, not far, far from, from here, here. <laughs> <laughs> now we all know Moog father of Worf is dead but what my book presupposes is maybe he's not <laughs> Old Moog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the butterflies on the Romulan planet flitted <laughs> through, through the underbrush. Yeah. <laughs> Scurried through the sage thicket. <laughs> Vamanos, Worf said, and they rode on in the friscolating dusk light. <laughs> I don't remember my own phone number, but I remember that line of dialogue. <laughs> Worf is pissed at this guy. He like, because in in Klingon land, if you're if you're a POW, if you're POW MIA, that means you're an asshole, right? They don't have the foreign legion hall with the POW MIA flag hanging outside of it in a uh, neighborhood on Kronos. Yeah, he's not filled with Chuck Norris feelings about wanting to go free them. Like, his position is more like, I need to go over there and kill them. Like, these people should be dead. Yeah, and the logic behind that is if you are, if if you're a Klingon, you want to die with honor in battle. And if you get taken, taken prisoner, you've essentially been deprived that honor by your, by your enemy. And there is a burden of shame that will land on you and your son and your son's son. Right. 
which uh, which means this dishonor extends to Alexander. Cut to Alexander uh, making pottery ashtrays <laughs> in the daycare. You take a big piece of clay like this, you push your hand into it. Like as if honor is, is of great concern to him at this moment in time. <laughs> My love is a This definitely is like an interesting episode when it comes to what it's like to be a Klingon. Yeah. Because I think Worf kind of has a confirmation bias where like a huge percentage of the Klingons he comes in contact with are high up in the government or on warships and therefore like a thousand percent bought into the thing that Worf is bought into. And... It's always interesting when Worf encounters Klingons that don't take that as seriously. Yeah. Uh, Kalar was a great example of that. Alexander is a jokey example of that. But, like, the ones that he ultimately meets in this episode are, like, really challenge the kind of core beliefs that he has. Yeah. So, it's... it's, it's uh, I, 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 th- I always think that this is, like, a, a fun a fun neighborhood to take Worf into. Um, Worf doesn't think it's fun at all though, because he goes back to work and he's like standing at his station on the bridge and like white knuckling the the security arch. Really (laughs) fun establishing shot to this scene of like the arch clench, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Much like me, Worf is not able to play it cool when he's having a bad day. Yeah. Like, he needs everybody in the room to know about it. He's really being an only child here. He really bites the head off of uh, some lowly ensign giving him a report. <laughs> like, yeah. he just takes him down two full pegs. This duty roster is unacceptable. Like many of the uh, dialogueless front sips, I was just, like, picturing this guy stuffing cereal box tops into, <laughs> into an envelope to win this walk-on. Yeah. <laughs> Worf does not appreciate the... The uh, report that he's given him uh, look kind of like it might be the same iPhone that uh, Lieutenant Picard Junior Grade tried to give Worf in the last episode. Yeah, Worf's beef with the report is that it's not an alphabetical order or something. But Worf yeah. should know that you can just click on a tab and resort yeah. the that field. There's a, yeah, there's a sort function in almost every <laughs> spreadsheet program worth its salt. I guess that's below his grade. Yeah. Well, um, Riker takes note and he's like, you all right, buddy? (laughs) What's your fucking problem? Really tore that guy's head off. Yeah. He's on an angsty path, Ben. Yeah, he's on an angsty path. And, uh, I think, um, I think like the next scene is him doing his kata down in his quarters. Another great reveal shot where it starts on the like nude men Mm -hmm. wrestling each other statue that he has on his uh, glass table, his pregnantly unbroken glass table, and Worf is doing his kata in the background and like really struggling to keep his composure and uh, does, does a real sick judo chop right through that glass. I feel like maybe one of the things we should do at, you know, in our greatest gen retrospective episode <laughs> is do the in memoriam for all the glass tables <laughs> to Sarah McLaughlin's I Will Remember You. Because <laughs> this one, 
this one goes pretty hard. Yeah, this one, <laughs> this one, uh, it didn't deserve what it got. People normally bleed when they karate chop a glass table. Worf seems fine. Yeah, he's good. He's like breathing heavily over the corpse of his defeated victim when <laughs> Troy walks in. And uh, she's like, what did that glass table ever do to you? And uh, and he kind of like he kind of like talks her through the thing he's struggling with. Worf's like, in life, glass tables don't have a name, but in death they do. <laughs> this glass table's name was Robert Paulson. Its name was Robert Paulson. Its name, its name was, was Robert Paulson. Worf essentially has decided that um, Lofi Farmer Hoggett is not worth his time. And Troy's like, why don't you look into this idea that your dad might be alive? Like, maybe there's something to it. Like he didn't think of that already? <laughs> like, thanks, Deanna. Here's the thing. Like, is it okay for Worf to go on a completely unsanctioned behind enemy lines mission? We never get a scene of him asking anyone about this. He just goes. This, this is a two-parter. They've got enough time for him to do that. And also, I guess he has a license to kill. <laughs> because earlier when he was holding Freddie Hoggett over the, uh, over the railing of the station, saying, you know, give him that what for about if you're lying, I'm going to push you over the edge sort of thing. Like, I guess he can just threaten to kill anyone he wants because he's killed people before without, uh, without any sort of punishment. Yeah. I really want, like, there's a lot of dumb Star Trek merch available for purchase in the world. I would love a Worf's yoga costume to just wear around the house. Like, I wouldn't wear it out, but sure. if I could lounge in this fucking yoga outfit, I'd be so comfy. It looks real soft. What is that texture? It's great. And it's sharp looking, too, that red that red slash across the front. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I did, what, like, where is that texture in my life? I need that. I would never want the obvious Star Trek merch. I would want the tertiary merch, like yeah. that robe. Mm-hmm. The, it, it's just a secret for... It's a secret for only you, Ben. Yeah. My wife wouldn't even know what it was. She's never seen this episode. She's never seen any of this shit. <laughs> And it's a good thing, too. I am the cute as a ball. You will assist us. I am the cute as a ball. You are ball. I think we're back in engineering, and now Bashir and Data are tooling away on their cool Gamma Quadrant dingus, and they've plugged it into the power system on the ship, and Jordy's helping them. They plug it right into the dilithium chamber. Like, that's the straight juice right there. <laughs> yeah. They aren't even yeah. bothering to run it through a uh, a surge protector or anything. Like, it's yeah. going right in. They don't have the uh, the battery backup on the floor. No. And, the, you know, they're having their little shop talk about, like, different things Data does, like have a pulse, grow his hair. Well, your creator went to a lot of trouble to make you seem human. Get full and firm erections. I find that fascinating. (laughs) They're just kind of like breezing past the fact that they have turned on this unknown piece of alien technology. And Data goes and stands like in the kind of like 
downrange area, like where it's pointed. <laughs> you could have no idea what this thing does and still know that this is the pointy end. Right, yeah. It's like like uh, looking down the barrel of a musket. Yeah. Yeah, like this is the end of the thing that's flared and it has scorch marks on it. And, Something's uh, coming out of this hole, Ben. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it goes all over Data's sexy chest. And it, it knocks him down. And he wakes up in the land of wide-ass lenses. Yeah, like definitely... Uh, Definitely a 16, or even wider. Yeah. Maybe talking might an 11. Maybe a 14. Might, it might be an 11. Yeah. The wide angle verse. Yeah, real warped edges. Real warped fringe. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously like a very nice piece of glass, because it's not distorting yeah. that much, but it is disorienting, because they never go this wide. This is like the Hype Williams lens of... Uh, effect on a on a Star Trek hallway. It really made me like wonder where Buster Rhymes and Missy Elliott were because this shot looked like they were going to hop out at any moment. Well, this is important to talk about because when you go this wide, you have to make sure that the that the set is dressed perfectly. Like, yeah, you have to make sure everything is looking great because your field of view is so wide and seeing so much of the ship at one time. Like, we've never seen this much of the bridge in one shot before, for example. So, yeah, you need complete sets to shoot on. And if right. there was ever any question that these sets were completed in any given moment, like that question is answered here like they are fully walled they have a ton of hallway to shoot yeah in. yeah they really do they have so much hallway the ship is almost entirely hallway really <laughs> yeah yeah as these blueprints that our our friend uh in uh, south carolina sent us display yeah it's mostly hallway it's hallway all the way down <laughs> <laughs> lato carpets so uh, Data's walking through these hallways, and he comes around a corner into kind of a big open area, and uh, young Nunyan Soon is blacksmithing with, like, a hammer. And uh, he turns, and it looks like he's about to say something, and Data, like, flinches and wakes up on the floor of engineering with uh, Philip's head screwdriver in the back of his head, and Jordy is, like, tightening something up. I thought it was weird that Data's arms weren't up. He's been shocked before where he just turns into the mummy. <laughs> he's choosing not to do that anymore. So what he's informed uh, is that a plasma shock hit him. It shorted him out for 30 seconds. And he's like, well, I wasn't shorted out. I have a memory of what just happened in the last 30 seconds. And I saw my daddy. Do you have a kiss for daddy? That's how it is in their family. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> the possibility is discussed that Data has had a vision. And I don't want to tell Worf how to do his job, Adam. But if I were the chief of security on the Starship Entrepreneur and Data had a vision, that's a red alert triggering event. Like, anything untoward happening inside of Data's brain should be treated as exquisitely dangerous. Yeah, anything out of the ordinary with Data should result in immediate removal of his arms and legs. <laughs> like, reduce this him to a stump. This is for our safety as much yeah. as yours, Data. 
take him down to a stump and then uh, and then stick him in a pot until we figure this thing out. Until this whole thing <laughs> blows over. You yellow bastards! Come back here and take what's coming to you! I'll bite your legs off! But instead, Data goes up to Worf and he's like, uh, I just had this vision. What are visions like, man? You seem to be like someone who's experimented in that sort of thing. And Worf is like, actually, I've taken mushrooms a lot in my youth. This he, one time in college? <laughs> he talks about the rite of Mushka, which, uh, <laughs> which Ben, I think, I think we, we can't go past this subject without uh, telling our viewers that anyone who messes with psilocybin Mushka, we don't, we don't encourage its experimentation. And if you do, we advise you be very careful uh, in all such matters. Make sure you have yeah, a couple of friends nearby. Big glass of water. safe space. Yeah. Yeah. So Worf basically tells Data, look, if you saw your father in this vision, like, this is... That's some big shit, man. It's really significant, and you should do what it takes to to chase the significance down, completely ignoring every other moment that when Data has chased his, in, his impulse at the expense of the ship's safety. I was like, simmer down, Worf. <laughs> I, think, I don't think you know what you're about to rot. Yeah, this uh, this could be real havoc. Bad security, Worf. In in talking data through this, I think Worf kind of it kind of like clicks all the tumblers into place for Worf that he needs to he needs to go find Lofi Hoggett and get to the bottom of this thing about his dad. He's like, look, I have a black spandex jumpsuit already. <laughs> It wasn't we used it a couple of episodes ago. It's very nuck obscuring. I didn't even wash it so that it would shrink. <laughs> like it's not too stinky for me. I'm gonna put it right on. I'll be right back. I like the device they have in this episode of they like will pan from the space station up to the Enterprise and then pan from the Enterprise back to the space station to like take the action from the ship to the station and vice versa. Yeah. That's a nice transition. It's good. I don't remember Deep Space Nine having that yellow stripe on it before. Do you? Um, I think it had that stripe. Really? Yeah. As I said, it's been a long time. Worf goes and gets his guy and heads off on his adventure without asking permission. But Data does, in fact, ask permission. He, like, pulls Picard aside and sits down with him in the ready room, and he's like... Like, it's it's very clear that Data is continuing his traditional around-the-horn, asking-everybody's-advice thing. It's funny when he chooses to do this and when not. Like, he didn't ask anybody's advice about making lol, but he asks everybody's advice about forming a... a uh, an intimate relationship or looking into his dream about his dad. He does that thing that you do when you're a little kid and you're trying to ask permission for something without giving the full details of what you're asking so that you can get that permission. <laughs> like he gives different stories to different people, but Data's plan is fucking insane. Data wants to recreate the experiment that, that briefly killed him before so he can have another vision. And I'm like, yeah. if Jordy did the same thing, if Jordy drowned on the holodeck or something <laughs> and was like, I saw my dad, it was amazing. 
I there's so much there's things I want to ask him. There's there's stuff I want to experience in this other world. Data, would you drown me? There is no fucking way that Data would drown Jordy. But he's basically asking Jordy to do the same thing. Yeah. How does he grant that permission? Does Jordy seem to think that uh, there are more Datas out there to be found and that he's not unique and priceless? I guess it's Data's risk to take. But, yeah, it's weird that Jordy is cool to, like, be a party to it. It's Data's risk to take in the way that it's Jordy's right to commit suicide. Like, it's sort of not... I guess. And this also like blurs the line between whether data is Starfleet material or not. Like intentionally putting himself in this kind of harm's way is just, I don't get it. This is the leap this episode asks you to take though. The way that data convinces Jordy is that he has painted a shitload of paintings. (laughs) Maybe this is Jordy's way to get him to stop painting. (laughs) <laughs> uh, my paintings are not like a recipe that I follow each time the same way. Each one is just a little different. These are not good data. Not good at all. <laughs> one of them's that horse playing the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time Riker uh, made fun of the fact that Jordy was teaching data to paint because he's blind? Yeah. Good one, Riker. Good one, asshole. <laughs> Riker's not around, he's busy making protein baths. Then a cloud of chromal vapor carries you into a meditation chamber. Data has painted a bunch of the imagery of a blacksmith, which is kind of how Soong was dressed. Um, But then he started painting crows. Are these ravens or crows? And how can you tell the difference? One thing I know for sure is it's murder that he's painted. (laughs) That is one murder of crows, Ben. Yeah, out in the street, that's what they call it. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, the, the the crow stuff is definitely diverges from what he saw in his vision. So um, he's thinking it has something to do with it, but the relationship is kind of unknowable at this point. Yeah, he takes so many things so literally. This was a moment of like true creativity. Right. And so they uh, they call up Bashir and they're like, Hey, man, let's go kill Data one more time. Bashir's like, dope, I'm there. And uh, He's not my this... android. <laughs> they fire this thing up. It uh, zaps Data into wide-ass lens-averse. And he's kind of like back where he started. He's, um, I think he like starts in a chair this time because they have him sitting down. I guess just so he won't go down like a sack of potatoes. And... Uh, he goes and finds Soong, and Soong is blacksmithing the wing of a bird. And then they're in the bridge, I guess, and all of the, like, control consoles have been taken out. And and replaced with a ficus? <laughs> yeah. um, What's the plural for ficus? Hmm, I guess it would be ficai. It would be, wouldn't it? And Soong is there, and um, and he's kind of explaining, like, this is a dream. It's different from the other because dreams are not always exactly the same. Uh, as much as uh, screenwriters wish they were. <laughs> uh, a writer yells from off camera, can you not be such a dick about this? <laughs> uh, I totally have a... Uh, 
embarrassing short film in my in my rearview mirror that is premised on a dream that is the same every time. Oh, oh, so bad. Can you at least give us a title? It was called Character, mm-hmm. and uh, with a yeah, K. The guy... <laughs> no, the uh, that's the how you know is... it's edgy. It's the sh- it's the short film where the lead character realizes he's a character in a short film. Hmm. Intriguing. Mm, not really. <laughs> Get any laurels on the poster for that one? If there are any, they were made up by me because I, you know, thought, oh, I'll make a make a poster like you do for a real movie. <laughs> I want to do something laurel worthy. Ben, can we do that? I think so. I think that uh, I think we have it in us. This is a film I made before I went to college, so it's, oh uh, yeah, it was a one of those. A uh, I have a camera and we have a summer to kill kind of kind of situation. But uh, yeah, I think I think we could do something laurel worthy, Adam. I'm in. Count me in. Um, I feel like this podcast is laurel worthy. If there was a legitimate sanctioning body to hand out laurels for podcasts. Don't you think this is Laurel Worthy? Accepted to the Santa Barbara Podcast <laughs> Awards. <laughs> Official selection <laughs> of the Long Island Podcast Festival. <laughs> Received application to the Albuquerque Podcast Festival. <laughs> I think the piece of exposition that we get from suing here is that this is a function in Data's head that is designed to allow him to have dreams, and it was designed to only turn on in the event that a certain sophistication was achieved in Data's development. So uh, I guess the thing from the Gamma Quadrant that zapped him sort of like triggered this thing prematurely. It's like he he got dreams earlier than he was supposed to. It's sort of like the kid in powder getting struck by lightning. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't know he was capable until he got hit. Mm. And now he has all these dream powers. Yeah, all the silverware at the lunch table is collecting in one place. He really feels the deer's death. Acutely. <laughs> Something like a phenomenon. <laughs> well, Adam, uh, we should talk about Rambo 2 Wharf Edition. Yeah, Wharf has packed a action backpack full of replicator pasta, and he's hitched a ride to this weird planet on the edge of Romulan space. Yeah, he kind of threatens Lofi Hoggett into, into providing the whip for this adventure. Like, Hoggett's like, nah, dog, I don't have a car. And he's like, I know you have a car. I went down to the DMV and checked. And uh, <laughs> I don't know why he's g- going to trust this guy to come back and pick him up. Seems like a bad idea. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he'd be a good wheel man. Yeah, I mean, he's he's terrified to go there. And uh, he, he actually, like, steps outside of his craft and walks Worf into the jungle surrounding the... Romulan prison complex and 
he's like, yeah, you just like head down this way. You hit a riverbank, you follow it there. You can't miss it. And I'll be, I'll be back in a couple of days and, uh, don't be late. <laughs> so like Worf in his ninja costume, like runs through the forest and, um, he comes across like a, uh, a grotto where like a nude woman is having a moonlit bathe. Yeah. There's almost as much buns portrayed here as, as Peastew showed a couple episodes ago. Where are the nude women having the grotto bath in real life? I feel like we see this in every movie and television show from this era. There's like some excuse for like there to be like a like a remote waterfall on an island and a lady is taking a naked bath in it. I've never seen this in real life. You're looking a gift grotto bath in the mouth. This guy was yeah. saying that there's a bunch of fucking needle snakes on this planet, and this lady's just going out in the middle of the night when it's dark and taking a sexy naked bath by herself? Naked Klingon girl in the water. Needle snakes <laughs> in the water. And when a needle snake's got you, his eyes roll back like a doll's eye. We're going to need a bigger dust buster. Swimming right up your urethra. <laughs> oh. oh, Jesus. <laughs> she And what kind of bathing is this? She's just like spraying the water everywhere. She's like making a bowl with her hands and then like throwing it in the air. She's yeah. not in this to get clean. She's in this she to had, titillate. She has no culture. She's been isolated from Klingon society her entire life. Right. Well... Um, she perceives there to be an unwanted male gaze upon her, <laughs> and uh, puts on, throws on a a, a cover up, and and like walks into the forest, and Worf like grabs her, and he's like, "Hey, listen, what the fuck is going on here? I'm here to rescue you. I'm not the creeper that this makes me look like I am." She is just fucking confused by this. Like, like, save me from what? I was taking a bath. <laughs> you mean those needle snakes? The rumors of their urethral penetration are, are exaggerated. Oh, God. Oh, I had to go back to the urethral penetration well, huh, Adam? She looks down and she's just wearing a skirt of these needle snakes. I just picture you sitting in uh, in Studio B surrounded by hentai wall art right now adam <laughs> you're really giving me the skeeves it gives me the energy for this project ben <laughs> it's the only thing keeping me going so she like she like uh she like runs back off into the into the distance and he like hops the wall into the prison compound and comes across like a really weird scene. It kind of looks like a table at Benihana <laughs> and there's one cling there's a bunch of Klingons seated at it and one is cling- kind of walking around singing to them. Might be like a like Klingon duck duck goose. It's like that scene at a beach bonfire when one fucking asshole brings a guitar and just like has to play <clears throat> has to play crash into you like Give it a rest, man. We're just trying to have a, a fun meal al-, al fresco. Yeah, Dave, we know that you know that and Wonderwall. <laughs> no one here's going to sleep with you, Dave. 
Um, and uh, Dave, your guitar will cure herpes. <laughs> Worf grabs this guy that's singing and like pulls him into into a dark corner, and he's. Do he's you know like, Melota? <laughs> he's like, Do you take requests? <laughs> Melota's my jam, dog. <laughs> Start all over. The text isn't synced up with the music. <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, listen. I heard a, I heard a rumor that my my pop is here." And the guy's like, "Your dad? Who's your dad?" And he's like, "Name's Moog." And he's like, "No, that guy died at Kidimer. What are you talking about?" Did he die in battle? And uh, it comes out that these Klingons were at Kidimer and were indeed imprisoned by the Romulans, but uh, but the bill of goods that Lofi Hoggett sold Worf is a bunch of bullshit. And these are Klingons who like have gone full Stockholm. Like they, they get Worf arrested by the Romulan captors and, uh, and they like, they turn him in. Like they are, they are not trying to leave. This, you gotta wonder this whose side they're on. <laughs> yeah. And they full on, freeze frame to to be continued it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy moment they usually cut to black on the to be's and they full-on chips ending this uh, cliffhanger yeah pretty unusual choice yeah also we have seen how many how many cliffhangers have we seen in this in this series five is this the fifth yeah maybe fifth or sixth is this the lowest stakes cliffhanger of all of those <laughs> kind of feel like it know. is Worf got uh Worf got captured i mean the stakes are high because it didn't tell anyone where he was going it's it, not a it good might, move you're right adam it might seem higher if mark twain had been walking around <laughs> that table recounting some uh some yarns rather than a guy singing in klingon well, Mr. Worf, <laughs> oh, it no. appears you must Fuck have... Fuck off. Fuck off. You must... No. You no. should have told no. someone where you were going. Fuck, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that impression. I will put your adventures in my next book. I'm leaving. I'm going to quit the podcast if you keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the weakest impression there is. My Mark Twain. I want you to stop that impression now. <laughs> Yeah, that's the end of the episode, Ben. Did you like the episode, Adam? Mm, No. (laughs) No, I don't think I did. Really? I mean... And I think, to me, it goes back to the dream sequence. Like, the A story's cool. I like the idea of... It being like Worf First Blood Part Two, but the but there's nothing there to the dream thing for me at all. Like there's no interest that does not move my needle. They spend an awful lot of time on that. So much. It may be fifty fifty in terms of like time dedicated. So yeah, I think that's my issue with it. Is like there's not a lot of teeth to that, and it's so abstract at the moment that there's not even a hint of like. Like, there is a way to cliffhang 
that story too. But so far, right. I guess that cliffhang is that Data is still under, like he's still he's still in that dream state. No, he's woken up and said, "Like oh, I'm gonna." I'm gonna start. Uh, I'm gonna start dreaming on the reg. It's like it's yeah. almost wound. Like it's almost feels like it's wrapped up. Like there's no suspense in it. Yeah, and there's something about that because of the time given. That is that sort of uh, brings everything else down with it in terms of like the overall satisfaction of what's happening. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna say no to this. How about you? I like it. I agree that there's a lot. Um, a lot more dream than is probably warranted by how interesting it is. And I would have loved to have like the, I think the things that we really gravitate toward in this series is seeing some kind of trade craft, like that, that kind of only could exist in this world. And like, what if Worf had had a run in with a venomous snake on that, on that planet and like had to do like some kind of like field prep of his injury. And he's like, he's going into this prison camp a little compromised for that reason or something. Or he must go there to get medical attention. Right. Like give us, give us some, give us some of that world. Like I, like we've never been on a jungle planet in a, in a uh, ninja gi at night. Before. Yeah, like, like the last seems... jungle planet was the uh, Echo Papa six oh seven planet, right? Right. And uh, and and yeah, like there's there's like if Rambo two is nothing else, it's a lot of fun with the kind of like challenges of being in that kind of environment. So like have some fun with it. Like that's a really fun place to go and a fun thing to do. And it shouldn't be that hard to shoot because you just fucking go to an ace garden center and get 10 ferns and bring them into a, a dimly lit studio you know plus i'm always hungry for like badass wharf moments and if you give him that behind enemy lines shit where like yeah. he's got to cauterize a wound with with a phaser that would oh, be awesome yeah like what setting is cauterized that's awesome like i want to see all that we know yeah. he's capable. When he was in that Old West simulation, he made a shield out of a communicator. Like, I want to see him do some some tradecraft. Yeah. All he has is a backpack full of pasta. Delicious. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this this episode is way too much table setting for the next episode. And um, the, I mean, like we said with the last, with the last to be continued, like the fun is when. This ep- the episode ends and they are so deep in the hole you can't imagine them digging themselves out. Yeah, yeah. And that's I'm, not this. I might regret this suggestion right now before seeing the next one. But like, I wonder what would happen if you clicked and dragged five minutes of part two into this sequence and changed the moment that the cliffhanger happens. If that makes this any more satisfying, or if everything depends on part two. And there's no amount of weight you could give part one to make it satisfying. Because that's, that's, I think, what's happening here is that, is that uh, the entire pot is, is back-weighted. Yeah. I mean, there's a way to do this. Like, this is, this is a possibility, but uh, it's... Um, yeah, it's, like, what if Worf murders that girl in the bath? What if he has to? Like, how dark can we get? That would be intense. 
what if he like cracks some Romulan skulls before getting there? And then he gets there, he finds out they're friendlies. He's got to live with that. Like, like let's uh, let's torture this guy a little bit with uh, with his actions. I mean, not not actual torture, of course. Why not actual torture? <laughs> Why not actual torture is what I'm saying. Yeah. You you stick him on a wireframe mattress. Mm-hmm. Turn the uh, turn the jumper cables up to high. You put a Michael Jackson CD in his mouth and pour a barrel of oil down it. Yeah. Michael Jackson is pop king of sick fucking country. Yeah, we could get a lot of political extemporizing by a couple of fun characters here. Indeed. Hmm. Sounds like the jury might be out on this. Like we may like we may still like the episode if we count both ends of it as one. Well, let's see what uh yeah, let's maybe let's let's do that. Let's see if the second installment redeems the first. Deal. All right. Do you want to move on to check our P1 inbox, Adam? Let's do. Priority 1 message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we've got a couple of P1s here. The first one is from Fashionable People, and it is to Kirsten. Kirster? Kristen? <laughs> you know what I used to do? God, this is, this is such an awful admission. This might be my most shameful admission on this show yet. Every time I have befriended a K-name person... In my life, <laughs> like a Kirsten, Kristen, you know, whatever, what have you? A Keurig K cup. I always, uh, I always jokingly call them Special K, <laughs> as a crutch for not remembering if the if the I goes before the R or after. Isn't that shameful? I have that problem where my brain has the same hole for the names Rob and Ron. Oh, yeah. And I've had, like, close friends who were named Rob or Ron, and I'm like, I know his name is Rob, <laughs> and half the time I call him Ron, so I always go like, hey, Ron, you know, like that kind of, like, don't pronounce the sounds that well. I'm just congested. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a monster. God. I, there are probably so many social crutches like these. We're probably in good company, but, yeah. Tough. It's tough to have friends. Anyways, the fashionable people want Kristen Kirster Kirsten to know (laughs) enough of this charade. Happy birthday, Kirsten. And congratulations on graduating. I'm so glad I have you in my life and that you enjoy this ridiculous podcast as much as I do. May the next year bring lots of scarves, many drunk Shimodas, and hopefully a few, many, space buttholes mm-hmm. as possible. <laughs> Whoa! Happy birthday, and good luck in roller derby. That's a pretty big year, if we're, yeah. if we're uh, ticking by the months in, in terms of buttholes. <laughs> That's a unit of measurement uh, that I, I don't do. Yeah, wow. Pretty intense. <laughs> I think their wish for the coming year is that it's, uh, it may uh, pinch a little bit at first, (laughs) 
could even be momentarily painful, but then give way to a uh, a very good feeling finale. A uh, pleasure the, that dare not speak its name. In the October, November, December months. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. Oh, we've just <laughs> ruined uh, Kirsten's birthday. And for that, Kirsten, we are deeply sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to move on to message two, Ben? Yeah, what's, uh, what's message two, Adam? Ben, message two is from Plavim. It is too Raz, and it goes like this. <laughs> God. Plavim says, we are going to be passing by your area on the way to the in-laws' cabin on July 4th weekend. Are you free? If so, let's get together. And if you are interested, we can piss on Joe McCarthy's grave. It's right <laughs> by my second high school. <laughs> I... I'm starting to suspect that Plavim doesn't have Raz's phone number and thus <laughs> yeah. cannot send him a text. Raz is totally new phone who dis. <laughs> new podcast who dis. We're really stitching together a tapestry of Raz and Plavim's friendship here, aren't we? Yeah, hopefully Q will uh, offer them the opportunity to go back in time and undo some of the harm. <laughs> Plavim is clearly the artificial-hearted one of the two of them. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for Raz to, to fire back at some point. Yeah, come on, Raz. We know you can do it, buddy. <laughs> the world is waiting. <laughs> well, Ben, one thing we rarely have to wait for... Is a, is a message telling us we have a new priority one message. We get them all the time. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, we're the best. We sell the most priority one messages. And then I went, like, somebody was asking how to do it, and I uh, I actually went to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to, like, get the link to send to them. And I saw that the uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me inventory for all of 2017 is already purchased. Wow. <laughs> Those guys are killing it in the game. Guess I shouldn't be surprised. Their show is wildly popular. Yeah, they uh, they've uh, they've got a special sauce, Adam. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I feel like for a show as new as ours and one that pr- publishes as often as ours, the fact that we consistently have a couple in every episode is humbling and a a real honor. Like the the fact that you guys and and by you guys, I guess I mean Raz and Plavim care enough to keep coming back for this is great. It really helps us uh, keep this show going. And uh, we love you for it. One of the things it does for me is it's a reminder that people are still out there in a <laughs> weird way. Like Twitter and Facebook do that, but also these messages do the same thing. Like, no. this, is, this is a two-way communication. We love it. Thanks for everybody that does it, and uh, hopefully more people than <laughs> just Raz Raz and Plavim will do it in the future. Get your slots before Raz and Plavim take them. <laughs> Darmok, Angelad, and a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. 
it's what I can depend on when I could use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. I'm going to give mine to Bashir uh, in this app, Adam. Kind of around like the 39-minute mark in this episode, he and Data have been like walking through the hallways having, having a rap, and... You see him walk away, and it's just kind of like a glimpse in the background, but you see that he is wearing, like, white hospital shoes. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like, I guess he's a doctor. I guess you might as well. 
but uh you know when but, you're on your feet for an entire shift the right footwear is key yeah so uh he's got a little uh little orthopedic shoe choice yeah and uh some white on white new balance mm-hmm real comfy yeah, he's, he's got those uh all white jack spade uh adidas Ben, I was recently on a shoot where uh, Secret Service people were around because Whoa. there was a very important person uh, being uh, being videoed for this yeah. production. And I surprised myself in the thought that the one thing that I wanted to ask a secret security person about was their footwear. Because yeah. who's on their foot? Who's on their feet in one place more than that Secret Service detail guy who's standing completely still in dress shoes? Like, there's got to be a secret there, right? Mm-hmm. I want to know uh, it. Yeah, and like sometimes you have to jog alongside the motorcade, right? Yeah, and those are clearly dress shoes. Like, I want to know what those secret dress shoes are that are so comfortable. Yeah. Do you ever see In the Line of Fire? Sure did. Love that movie. Yeah. Great movie. One of the best. Ben, my Shimoda goes to an inanimate object. <laughs> I think cool. we both uh, we both took notice of the most explosive action scene in the entire episode, which was that that glass table being destroyed in Worf's quarters. Mm. What you may not have noticed for its subtlety was the scene in Ten Forward where Data approaches Worf and is like, "You ever see your dad in your dreams?" And then Worf sort of gestures to a table with a drink on it, and they sit down. That, yeah. As soon as they sit down, that table is wobbling from fear. <laughs> it is positively shaking in fear of what's about to happen, because I think it knows. I think it knows what happened to that other table. I always get that fucking table. Every coffee shop I go in and sit down in, I get the table that needs a shim. You putting a little sugar packet in that table, or are you leaving it for the next guy? I, I would, observe strict campfire coffee shop rules. I'm leaving it I better than I found it, Ben. I'm just saying, like, for all of the observation I do of that rule, I never get it where somebody has already sorted it out before I get there. You've never sat at a pre-packeted table? No! It's always shaky. I think coffee culture in Seattle is just different. Nay, better than Brooklyn coffee culture? We're shimming our tables left and right. Adam. They got us working with shims. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hand it to you on the average coffee shop in itself in Seattle being uh, quite a bit better. But I have to say, Brooklyn ran ahead of Seattle a long time ago in coffee quality. Well, I, I can't wait until I visit and I get that pumpernickel bagel with a... Uh, with a triple Americano. We're going to get Riding high, side car. I'm really going to take you to like five coffee shops in, in three hours, and we're going uh, to be decimating the bathrooms in each one. I'm so down. Looking forward to it. As I am looking forward to our next episode, Ben, what do we have on the docket? The next episode is season six, episode 17, The Birthright, part two. <laughs> Boy, so, there is sort of a lot in Christopher Walken's ass, isn't there? Such a bad Walken. The whole two episodes. Imprisoned in a society of peaceful Klingons and Romulans, 
Worf risks his life to show the younger Klingons their lost heritage and inspire them to claim their honor? Do you remember this episode, Adam? What makes Worf think that he is a good conduit for this? Alexander (laughs) hates their culture. He doesn't get it and he doesn't care. Maybe, uh, maybe Worf's going to, uh, to get a little bit of like paternal transference here. They'll, they'll become the children that appreciate the culture in a way Alexander does not. It'd be like a uh, Lebanese guy teaching a Thai kid in Nigeria how to cook. <laughs> that is a world-class callback, Ben. <laughs> the circle is complete. This is a terrible callback. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's what we're watching next time. We always reward the people who listen to the end. And that was your reward, fair viewer. <laughs> One of the most rewarding things about this show is the growing community that surrounds it. Like so many armed prison guards trapping us in a production schedule Ben and I can't escape. Our viewers exist on Twitter talking about the show using the hashtag greatest gen they're also on facebook and reddit most especially that's true um we should thank adam ragusia for a lot of the music on our show and dark materia for our theme song much appreciated go to uh, maxfunstore.com for merch lots of new merch in the works uh i don't know if we ever said this on the show but we had a couple of extra posters from our last tour and we thought, why the hell not? Put them on the store. So they're up there. Uh, there's probably not that many left. Yeah, very limited supply. And people are showing us pictures of where they have put them in their home and workplace. It is, it's a terrible thing. <laughs> and yet wonderful at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you can always support the show by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate as well. That is the triple truth, Ruth. And uh, with that as our outgoing message, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And an episode of The Greatest Generation that is practicing with its bow staff in the garden. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.